What up, everybody? Welcome to the latest, greatest edition of the Nesson After Hours podcast presented by People's United Bank. Emerson Lazia here. Sealy Godwin is here. The usual suspect seals. We got two big, beefy, meaty topics today and two phenomenal guests to help us answer all of the award-winning questions that we have come up with. Yes, uh, two topics, two guests. You know the drill. Alex Cora reintroduced as the Red Sox manager. We have questions surrounding that as well as the next steps ahead for him, the team, the bullpen, Chris Sale, Erod, all the works. We got Jim McCaffrey of The Athletic, plus Ryan Clark of ESPN. He's going to join us a bit to discuss all things NFL and, of course, share some of his favorite stories of playing Bill Belichick the Patriots and then obviously he he's got some history playing against the Ravens as well so we're going to talk about that that match here in week 10 Patriots Ravens all right so Jen thank you for joining us we know you've been super busy with all this stuff with Alex Cora can you just give us your overall view of the presser the reintroduction your, your feelings of how that went and some of the answers that were given yeah, um, you know, I think I think by and large it, it went well for Cora. You could definitely tell that he had thought uh, a lot about what he wanted to say. It's obviously the first time he was going to be addressing the media since all of this went down in January. So it was really um, a time for him to maybe explain some things. Obviously, apologize. He was really remorseful and you know talked about the embarrassment and shame and having to deal with this with his family and how this is on his resume. How he doesn't want it to be something like a comeback story that some people might view it. So uh, from that sense, you know, I thought I thought he handled himself well. And, you know, people wanted him to try to get into specifics about Houston. And I just I didn't I didn't think he was going to go down that road. He admitted it happened and he was wrong and that they did something really stupid. But um, I don't think we're going to get specifics on that from his end. But by and large, I thought it, it went well for him. And, you know, now it's just a matter of dealing with this for the upcoming season with the players and when they wherever they go on the road and kind of the fans and the 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 national media and kind of having this brought up everywhere he goes so I think he knows that that was going to be a part of it and uh he's gonna have to deal with it and we'll see how he handles it Jen it was a better apology than anything we heard from anyone from the Astros was it not yeah no definitely I mean I think he from you know anybody that's been involved yeah I think he's been the most kind of forthright and and remorseful and um yeah just speaking like I said of the embarrassment and shame of it all and uh realizing he really screwed up so I mean I I think that it was in that sense um it seemed genuine uh and and he kind of presented himself in a good way in that in that light what do you think the highlight was of Tuesday's presser what do you think stood out to you the most I think just it for as much as it was kind of a, a, a just a strange, you know, setup and everything, him coming back a, a year later, you know, everything that's happened, um, it, it did feel very much like, okay, back into the swing of things. Like this is semi normal again. We had, <laughs> um, we had that the beat right there was, so that press conference was for about a hundred people, you know, media people nationwide um, that was on that zoom conference. And then we kind of had a breakout session with Cora afterwards with just the Boston beat reporters. Um, so it was about 15 of us. And it just felt like it was kind of back to 2019 again. And it was, it was kind of, I guess, strange in that sense, given that everything that's happened this year. Um, But that's just sort of how his personality is. And, um, you know, kind of lends to that and and to making, you know, making people uh, feel, I guess, comfortable or or, um, just, you know, um, re getting like back into the swing of things. So uh, that kind of like stood out to me of just how, 
normal in a way for how abnormal this whole thing has been um, that it was so. Jen, how much of this was High and Bloom's call and how much of this was the owner's call? And yeah, that's been a huge narrative throughout this whole process. I really do think that this was came down to Heim's call. I know, you know, ownership uh, clearly must have come to him at the end of the season and said, look, we really like Alex. Um, we know he messed up and he paid his price with his, you know, his one year suspension and, and us, you know, dismissing him basically for the year. But but if you want to bring him back, that's that's, you know, we would really like that. You know, I think Heim kind of went through the process and kind of did his due diligence and, and you know, interviewed people he thought that he might want to work with, but ultimately realized that Cora is the guy that everybody, you know, says he was. And, and, you know, I think he had a lot of people in his ear, obviously a lot of players. He said he got a lot of unsolicited calls from players. So I'm sure that weighed on him too. And he probably figured, you know, if I, if I, you know, select Cora here and things, you know, don't go well, yeah. <laughs> everybody wanted him and it's not necessarily my call if I select somebody else like a Sam Fold that we had talked about and the you know the analytics heavy guy and that doesn't go well then then it's not good on me so you know I think it was a combination of all that um but you know I, I think I really do think that it, they let Heim kind of guide this process and it wasn't like you know core or bust I think they just were you know giving their suggestion um but he he really kind of came down and realized that Cora was a guy he could he could work with yeah, I mean, like if, if it doesn't work out, at least Haim can just blame ownership and say, hey, you guys exactly. wanted them. <laughs> Jen, it is a unique set of challenges ahead for Alex Cora as he makes his second stint here. What do you think is going to be the biggest for him? Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess number one, obviously, is just like the, the PR of it that we talked about and just kind of dealing with all of that um, from an image standpoint throughout the season. But roster wise, man, this is just a, a very different roster than the one that he left in 2019. He's going to, you know, have to deal with a rotation that doesn't have Chris Sale for half the year. We still don't really know what Eduardo Rodriguez's status is. He, mm -hmm. he was he was on MLB Network Radio, I think it was yesterday, and, and said Rodriguez was and said that he's been working out and started throwing and all that. So that's good. Yeah, you said he's going to be 100 percent ready by 2021. He, he said that. So, I mean, obviously guys are more optimistic sometimes than, than they can be, but, or than they should be. But, uh, but yeah, I mean that, you know, all signs are pointing positive there, but still, you don't really know how much you can push him throughout the year. Really. Um, yeah. Is he going to have to have more than five days in between starts or is he only going to be able to pitch maybe, you know, like a hundred innings or something throughout the course of the year. So, I mean, things like that, you're going to have to keep an eye on and, just getting, you know, getting guys like Devers back on track, Andrew Benintendi back on track, even JD Martinez. He's got a lot on his plate in terms of um, things he's going to have to handle. And just, yeah, turning this team around. It was such an awful 2020 season that, you know, he can't, Cora can't come out of the gate with this 2021 team and have them, you know, losing multiple games because people are just going to, you know, lose their minds. So he, there really is pressure to win here. Um, and, you know, I, I guess what kind of roster he has, you know, that Heim Bloom makes for him this offseason will play a, lar a large part of that. But mm -hmm. still, he's, 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 you know, pegged as the guy coming in to fix, you know, to fix Devers and get everything back on track. And if he doesn't do that, well, then there's going to be some, some heads rolling, I think. Oh, man, this is like 10 times bigger of a challenge than what he so had when he pressure, came in man. with that team in 2018. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, cause coming in, in, in 2018, there really were no expectations. It was just sort of, 
you know, nobody at the time thought that that team was going to, you know, everybody thought it was a good roster, but no one had, you know, world series expectations. They were just frustrated from the 16 and 17, like early exits in the LDS. And um, people were just frustrated with John Farrell's management of the team. And um, that was more of the narrative when he came in in 18, that, you know, we got a fresh face, a guy that played here in Boston and a younger guy that, you know, maybe can relate to the players, but we didn't really know much about him and he'd never uh, managed before. So we didn't really know his style. So, this challenge heading into 2021 is so vastly different from where he was in 2018. Um, how he handles it is going to be really interesting to see. Obviously, we heard from Erod saying he'll be 100% healthy. Who's to say that he actually will be? Then with Chris Sale, Tommy John surgery, that's going to push him further back into the season. He will not be ready, obviously, by opening day. Um, there's a couple of other guys out there that are available on on the market, but what do you think the that the Red Sox should do here. Well, give me yeah, Trevor you know, Bauer. Give it to a lot me. of people want Trevor Bauer. He <laughs> did wear he did wear a Red Sox hat and that lids advertisement on Instagram. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I don't think yeah. they'll I don't think they'll pay for him, but it would be sexy to have him out there. That's the thing. Yeah. So like they have so many holes that they have to plug this winter with the rotation, the bullpen, the outfield, even you know, infield uh, depth that I don't think that they can go out and they've got about 40 to $50 million, which obviously is a lot of money. But when you talk in baseball terms and contracts, it's not a lot of money. That Do you baseball really wanna... money is way up there. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's crazy to talk, but it's really not a lot of money when you have so many holes to fill. So do you really want to spend more than half your salary? Those upper echelon guys, if you're looking at like a, a Trevor Bauer or someone along those lines, um, if you're looking to try to sign one of those guys, you're going to be blowing, you know, 25 to 30 million a year on one guy. So mm -hmm. I, I really don't think, you know, and, and knowing Heimbloom's uh, just the way, you know, he works with rosters and roster management, he's not the type that goes out and spends huge on, on these one time, you know, or on, the, on one guy uh, specifically. So I think what he'll do is sort of target some of the mid-tier, uh, you know, free agents that are still guys that you know and still guys that are, are good. Still uh, quality. Maybe, yeah, still yeah. quality guys. I don't think he's going to be filling the roster with a lot of the, the the guys that we've never heard of, you know, like he did last season. Those were a lot of depth moves. And, and there will be a lot of those because they need to build depth. But I can see them, you know, even a guy like Corey Kluber, I could see them going after him, a guy that's coming you know, coming off really rough, you know, stretch here and um, maybe trying to revamp his career. Um, if they sign him for a low base and have, you know, some incentives built in, if, you know, for innings and, and wins and all that kind of stuff, things that he hits, I could see them doing something like that and then filling in some other guys. I could see them even, you know, I don't know, Bloom has history with Charlie Morton. Um, so, yep. I mean, there's there's him, you know, he, he cost a tad bit more, but uh, so guy, I don't he's know. He's 37 guys, I mean, now, I think too. He's yeah. older. Uh, yeah. But I mean, he's still good. It's, you know, yes, he he's, and he's, uh, he's, he's kind of a reliable guy and obviously has the history with him. So I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see how he does this, but I do think that they're not going to like blow all their money on one guy just because they have so much, so many different holes they need to fill. I, I do uh, want them to bring back John Lester and that's not for the free beer. Oh, I mean, really? Yeah. Right. I, I promise it's not for the free beer. You mentioned John Lester and you mentioned John Lester and free beer every night on the show this week. I know exactly why you want John Lester back. <laughs> I mean, how beautiful would that story be for him to just, you know, complete this circle, come back to the Red Sox. Come on. It would be, it would be pretty fascinating if that happened. And I mean, he said that he'd be open to it. So I don't know. I, I think that they'll You're probably try to target other guys first, but uh, hey, that would, he's a that'd be pretty crazy. He's a damn good tipper. So I know all the, all the restaurants and, and bars around Fenway are like, yeah, bring it on. Yeah. Jen, 
Jen, before you take off, there was some uh, big news this morning around baseball. Uh, the Marlins have named Kim Ng as their new general manager. She becomes Major League Baseball's first female and first Asian American GM. Brent, big props right there. Like, yeah. uh, how big of a step forward is this for Major League Baseball? It's massive. This is like a history, like a historical day. Um, I don't, you know, she has been around the game for for about thirty years and a variety number of number of different um, roles throughout uh, different organizations, but mainly with the Yankees and, and with, um, you know, Jeter, Derek Jeter owning the Yankees. It's, it seems like a, an awesome fit there of, you know, him realizing that she needs to be a part of, you know, uh, just baseball circle and, you know, a bigger part of the baseball circle and can, you know, lead a team and a woman can lead a team. So I think it's really awesome that he gave her this chance and, you know, she obviously earned it um, and she's earned, you know, past positions that she's interviewed for, but didn't work out. So it's really cool to see that she finally has gotten this chance um, after so many years working uh, working in baseball and, and with her background. So uh, it'll be really cool to see what they do going forward and, and how she handles the team and how she handles, you know, this winter and rebuilding that Marlins team. Cause they had, they had a pretty um, interesting year themselves and, you know, oh, yeah. pushed themselves exceeding expectations. They, they, really they, they made it deep. She's taking over a pretty interesting team too. To, to, so to see how she, she handles all this will be awesome. But just even, you know, from the outset, the news that, you know, there's a, a woman and an Asian American GM um, in baseball, it's, it's awesome. So uh, this, is a, this is a pretty great day. Huge. Uh, Jen McCaffrey of The Athletic, we appreciate the time today. Thanks for having me. Later, Jen. Later, Jen. All righty. So let's see what we got here coming up on tap. He's a Pro Bowl safety who spent 13 years in the NFL, most notably with the Pittsburgh Steelers, where he won a Super Bowl in 2008. You can find him all over ESPN these days. It's Ryan Clark. Welcome to the podcast, Ryan. Hit that unmute button, my friend. I need to hear you <laughs> and see you. Oh, my God. Oh, I've, been, I've been walking too. around my room waiting for you guys to finish. Oh, it's all good, man. This is perfect timing. You're walking around your room. I thought you would be like going in between live shots. You're all over ESPN these days. I, every time I turn on the TV, you're on some show. I'm like, does this man ever sleep? I do sleep. I sleep a ton. Um, <laughs> the, the good thing is, man, you just do a lot of shows on your day, you know, only work three days a week. And so if you could just get that done and be through with that, then you're cool, man. So that's how I do it. Dude, you're all yeah, like, you really are just crushing it. Like consistently, uh, no you're, you're, br you're bringing the energy, you're bringing the knowledge nonstop. So what kind of knowledge can you drop on us uh, about Cam Newton? Uh, how impressed were you that now we have two straight games of no interceptions? <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's not necessarily the interceptions. I think you were about like those things happen uh, for Cam. It's been about production, right? You know, you look yeah. at, you look at the, the guys he's playing with Jacoby Myers has come on and played well. I've always been kind of impressed and intrigued with him. Demir Berg has made some plays. And so now what you got to start to weigh is, is it the New York Jets? Right. Like, do we look at it yeah. as playing the New York Jets? And because don't rain on York, our parade right? here, <laughs> he played well. No, nah, listen, tough, Ryan. Guys, listen tough. I'm, a, I'm a Cam, I'm a Cam Newton guy. Like, I want Cam to succeed. You know, I said before the season, I'm actually cheering for the Patriots, a team I've hated my entire life, oh, you know, because hey, like, like, and, and, and aren't the Patriots now, at least because of the last two decades, like the Lakers, you know, like football's better mm. when the Patriots are really mm. good. 
Yeah. Like I, I don't, I don't like getting on TV and having to talk about what's Bill Belichick going to do and all these things. And so, you know, you look at Cam, he seems to be moving in the right direction. I just don't know if it's enough. Yeah. You know, yeah. you don't know if it's enough with Buffalo and Miami in the division. I mean, Buffalo is the new darlings of the AFC East here. 2020, uh, man. Allen's doing good, That's it. good work there. It's weird. It's weird. Like, what, what is going on with 2020? Um, but let's talk more about this Week 10 matchup here uh, with Lamar Jackson and the Ravens coming into town. Um, what do you make of that matchup? How are you feeling about this one? Um, They're going to lose, obviously. Yeah. Patriots are going to lose. I mean, it's yeah. not – that's not – yeah, like, Play? I mean – like let's just i don't think anyone can get mad at you for saying that like yeah i'm not like i'm not gonna come on here and lie because it's that (laughs) show because it's your guys show that's first and foremost um but you know what the 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 crazy thing is man it's like lamar jackson you're starting to wonder if he's kind of on that cam Mm. newton projection like you had the high of the high as the mvp which is earlier than cam had it so what's next and so when you look at this game it's going to be about can Cam Newton and those wide receivers create any type of offense against what is truly a Pro Bowl secondary from a corner standpoint. First round of Jimmy Smith, first round of Marlon Humphrey, first round of Marcus Peters. They turn the football over to make it tough to get catches. And so, you know, can you get a run game started enough to get Cam into some play action? And I just don't think they're good enough. And two, you can't have all the opt outs that y'all that you guys have had on defense. Uh, you can't have one of the best players in football. Uh, be you know have COVID, then now be injured, and Stephon Gil- Stephon Gilmore. Yeah. I just think it's tough, and you know people are gonna look at this New England Patriots team, and obviously a lot's gonna be attributed to Tom Brady no longer being there. But you know when Bill Belichick was like, "Hey man, we were kind of all in from a roster standpoint for five years, and it worked out really dang well." And, I would say so. Yeah, you know, and like he's like, and you know now like sometimes you gotta pay the piper, you know, and that's kind of where this team is. And I think with so much turmoil going going on, like the Baltimore Ravens have more issues for a six and two team than anybody I've ever seen. Right. You know, I'm like, I'm like I don't even think of them as a six and two team right now. It's just, it's, right. we're not, cause last year it's like, it was all the, the hoopla and, and, and the sexy Lamar runs and just that yeah. offense, yeah. It's just clicking. all these incredible plays. And all of a sudden I'm looking, I'm like, wait a minute, they're six and two. Yeah. And we complain about them all the time. We actually, we absolutely hate them. You know what I mean? Like, I, like I'm on, like I'm on TV. Like I'm having to catch myself because they're asking me questions about him, and I never say anything positive. You know, like when they ask me about Lamar, when I'm asked about the offense, which still is a great offense, mm-hmm. they still they score 20 points in every game, and it's like, yeah, but you know, and so that team has a lot to prove, and I think you know, playing against a team like New England who comes limping into this game would mm-hmm. sure be a great time to prove. Man, you know what it is, man. Like the bully got old. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. you know, like Anderson Silva now. People love to take that fight. You know what I mean? When mm-hmm. for many years in the UFC, that wasn't the fight you wanted. He was going to keep his hands down, kick you in the mouth, put his toes all in your mouth. And, you know, by the end of it, you were going to be embarrassed. That's what playing New England was like. It was like every week playing the go, knowing that you could play your best game and still lose. And now that they're down, people are going to take their shots. And so I think oh, yeah. Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens have something to prove this week. So been, are, are you saying that the Patriots across the league are now seen as an easier team to beat? Or when you see Bill Belichick over there with his cutoff gray hoodie scowling at you, are you still like a little bit nervous? Hell no. <laughs> hell no. A- absolutely not. Because I think, you know, like, like that's one of the things about coaching, you know, I, and, I, and I say it all the time. 
if if you have to make a choice between a great player and a great coach, if that player plays quarterback for sure, you take the great player, right? Because he can actually affect the game. No matter what Bill Belichick wants to do, he can't make Jared Stidham not Jared Stidham, right? He, he couldn't make Brian Hoyer not Brian Hoyer, Brian Hoyer against Kansas City. And I think that those things now, you look at Bill Belichick, it's like, yeah, man, like you're still the GOAT, but you don't have the goons anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's, he's like he's like the mafia boss that gets extremely old and has done so much that you respect him already. But <laughs> what all but what always keeps that mafia boss there is he got the right goons taking the shots for him. He got the right people protecting him. Bill Belichick doesn't have that right now. Yeah. Bill Belichick you... as a mafia boss. I love it. <laughs> well, yeah. One of his uh, one of his games is now playing quarterback uh, for, for the Buccaneers, man. You, you yep. mentioned Tom Brady earlier. What do you think about. His first season there, he's halfway through it. We've seen the highs of the highs, and then, holy hell, we've seen some lows, like mm-hmm. that last game against mm-hmm. the Saints. Now, I know there's a lot mm-hmm. on his mind because he had a few jet skis float away with that tropical storm. That's, di- that's difficult, though. Losing jet skis is difficult, man. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever – I've never lost one because I'm too scared to get on one, but I would have to imagine that's very akin to losing the love of your life. 100 percent man you go out there you just see them drifting away and they (laughs) drifted away like 300 yards okay oh my goodness 300 yards of jet ski drift Woo! pretty sure uh, (laughs) that's like 91 yards than he he had more yards than he had (laughs) (laughs) but you guys love that look how excited you guys are that tom brady struggled well it's finally like we can take shots at him around here He's, he's no longer New England. So now that he's not New England, and I know, and I know guys on TV in your position, you guys, you guys are always t- kind of taking shots when you can, especially guys like you who have played against them. How impressed are you? Or are I mean, you not impressed with what he's, what he's done with him? You know what's crazy? You know what's crazy? It's like I actually don't take shots. Like I just tell to talk about what's happening. You know, like when Tom Brady's great, I say it. He's great. I think, the thing that, I, I think the thing that I try to do um, – that's important to me is not let where I hold Tom Brady career wise cloud what I see on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I don't, I don't let the fact that I think Tom Brady's had the greatest career of any quarterback that's ever played, make him infallible to me. I don't allow, I don't allow that to make Tom Brady perfect to me. You know, when Tom Brady's holding up four fingers, but it's over, you know, <laughs> that's funny. Right. But but not even not only is it is it it funny. Think about how inexcusable it is. Think about if Cam Newton, who's won an MVP, would do that right now in New England. The the, the way. Right. The way he would be crushed. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's what we've seen with Tom Brady is he has so much deposited in our emotional bank accounts because we've seen him be great so long that our emotions won't allow. Uh Oh, I lost you guys. Come back. Come back to us. You know, our emotions, our emotions won't allow us to talk about Tom Brady sometimes in the way that we need to. And so when you look at this team, they have everything they need. And when they protect him, he's amazing. Right. Like, think about, you know, you can go back to the Las Vegas game. You can go to the Chargers game in the second half. uh, And you can think about some of these games that they played, the Carolina Panthers early on in the season. When he's protected, he's been great. Now, go to. New Orleans Saints week one, New Orleans Saints last week, Chicago Bears, Chicago Bears lost all these games where the pressures gets up, get up around 10 pressures a game. He's terrible. And listen, that's that's most quarterbacks. That's 
that's any quarterback you hit, but especially an immobile quarterback who's older than me. Listen, y'all, I have trouble jogging sometimes now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So the fact that Tom Brady's still out there playing is amazing. But you got to understand that those – you can't take as many hits. You can't get away from as many. And so you look at this team. I think they're in the most pivotal part of their season. Uh, Tom Brady and Bruce Arians have to figure out a way to galvanize this team to win this football game because they're going to be on the road in the playoffs. And you can't tell me that everybody in the world didn't go. Didn't go. If Jameis Winston can throw 30 interceptions – this team could be seven and nine and be as explosive as they are on offense. If they get Tom Brady, they should win the Super Bowl. Everybody thought that. Everybody do, said it. Do you think that that Saints it. loss, there's more, uh, we're, we're pointing more blame at Tom or are we more so looking at coaching and game plan there? Because that's the first time getting swept by a divisional opponent in the regular season for Tom Brady in his career. Usually with Bill, his second time around, he's got more cards hidden underneath okay. his feet. I have a question. Tell me in Tom Brady's 20 years in the AFC East when he had a team in his division as good as the Saints. Never. Tell me in Tom yeah, Brady's 20 years. Yeah, the only year was really in, when he got injured. And it's yeah, the it. Dolphins ended up winning the division. Right. right. And so you so you have to think about that. Never has Tom Brady stood on the sideline, and, and obviously not from a team perspective, but looked across at another quarterback and been like, this dude's probably accomplished more than me individually from a statistical standpoint, from an individual play standpoint, Drew Brees has that, right? Drew Brees has the type of yardage. Drew Brees has the type of touchdown. So I think one, a team like the saints isn't scared of, of Tom Brady. They feel like they have a quarterback that can match Tom Brady in experience in, in, in wisdom, right. In knowledge of the game. And so I think that's what you're seeing. You saw that, the point I made about players stand up, mm -hmm. right? Another team had as good of players as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did, and they won the football game. So did you ever have, like, those moments in your career where you're lining up, like, against Brady or in a game against Belichick and you're just, like, crapping your pants? Or do you have some, some of your favorite memories from playing these guys? <laughs> yeah, when I split Wes Walker in half. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> let's go. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, you know what, man? Like the, 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 like getting beat by Tom Brady during our career, which happened a ton too, bro. Mm -hmm. Like they used to beat the brakes off us. And it was always one of those things. It was like, we were really, really good, especially defensively. You know, like there were times like we were the best defense in the world. And then you play Tom, man. And you like, I remember one time he hung like 50 on us. And then, you know, there was the guarantee. 55 by Anthony Smith. on you. By five. Yeah. I oh, mean, don't know, do that, silly. Oh, I don't. Oh, man. It don't bother me. That's one thing I tell people all the time, man. It's like when you try, when people try to like find a negative about my 13 year Super Bowl, Pro Bowl, NFL Why? career, yeah. it's like, all right. You know what I mean? Like you got blown out by Tom Brady. So, like, when was the last time you were on the field with Tom Brady? You know what I mean? So uh -huh. that don't bother mm -hmm. me at all. Mm -hmm. that don't bother. But I think, like, when you look at Tom Brady, man, it wasn't, like, one memory. It was sustained excellence. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, I never, like, I never, like, was, when you play Aaron Rodgers, you always had a fear of, I can be perfect and still be wrong. That's you know? annoying. You know, like, that, <laughs> that like, has that, to be so frustrating. Oh, my yeah, goodness. Like, 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 that's frustrating. With Tom, man, it was to the point, he was like, if we don't do something different, this dude is so good, he's so smart, he's so experienced, he's gonna bust our head. 
And, you know, you'd walk off the field, you'd go shake his hand, and you'd be like, you know what, dude? You did it again. Unless I remember, your neck falls. Unless your neck falls and he doesn't shake your he hand. He won't shake your hand then. <laughs> hey, man, COVID, though. COVID, 2020. Okay, yeah. It's COVID. You can't be just shaking every hand. You know what I'm saying? Um, I yeah. will say this, though, about Tom Brady, man. I remember my last year, I left Pittsburgh and went back to Washington. Not sure why I did that. Um, and we practiced with the Patriots. And I remember watching him, man, and, and seeing him run, run the practice and seeing him basically coach guys, seeing him be a leader and saying to myself, and I played with a, a, a two-time Super Bowl champion quarterback. I was like, dude, it's different. And uh, we talked for about 20 minutes before the game. Neither one of us were playing. And I remember calling Troy Palomalu, and I was being like, bro, I got sad news. And he was like, what you mean? I was like, I really like Tom Brady. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, I was like, bro, I was like, Tom Brady's cool as hell. You know what I'm saying? I was like, he could have been our quarterback, you know, because, because honestly, because, because you watch his greatness and, and listen, man, like the dude got everything. Like for some reason he was able at 43, he has a better body than he had when he was 22. He's more handsome. He's more handsome. Yeah, he's like more chiseled. Like where does it all come from? He looks like a different person. tan helps everybody. You see what I'm saying? And so, and so like you, you, you make up a narrative that he can't be a good dude. I'm gonna be honest. That's the narrative I made. Cause I needed to find a way to hate him. Like mm-hmm. I needed to find a way to not like marvel at what he had accomplished. And I remember talking to him. I was like, frick, he's also yeah. cool. You know what I mean? I was like, this dude has it freaking all. And he really does, man. Like, you know, you can't like the, the, the one thing I will never not is what Tom Brady's done who he is, what he's been. I can talk about his play game by game, but there is no way that you can have a bad thing to say about the stuff that Tom Brady's accomplished and what he still can possibly do, you know? And so you can attribute it to Bill Belichick. You can attribute it to TB12, freaking quinoa and avocado juice or whatever you want to. (laughs) Avocado Uh, ice cream. My bad, I'm sorry. (laughs) Avocado ice cream. But dude truly is a marvel, man. I mean, you did beat the Patriots twice in your career. Um, you, obviously, you have great Tom Brady stories. Do you have any great Bill Belichick stories? Because sometimes we see him on the sideline just cursing out other guys. Obviously, he's joking. But do you have any good Bill Belichick? You know what? I, you know what? I don't. I, no. So I have the opposite feeling of Bill Belichick as I do Tom Brady. <laughs> right? And so I never built the narrative of not liking Bill Belichick because I really didn't have to. I didn't really have to face him. But the same year... Same year, uh, Bill Belichick would work out in the morning. And at Washington, we only had one weight room. So Bill Belichick, because he wanted to work out in the morning at, you know, at our training facility and training camp, he'd be in there with us. I love football, right? And if you love football, there is no way you can't be excited or interested in at least speaking to Bill Belichick. And at the time, I'm 34, right? I'm about to be 35. I'm in my last year. Like, I want to have that conversation. Man, so Bill Belichick's in there, and all I say was, hey, coach, how you doing? Do you know he's thinking ignore me? <laughs> he ain't speak, bro. Cold like, shoulder, speak. leaving you on red. Cold shoulder. And my, and my thought was, I was like, say, bro, one, you're old. I'm still playing. I can put hands on you. That's first and foremost. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh, Ryan Clark said he's going to yeah, throw hands on the Let's go, bro. Like, 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 like you're going to stop being rude in my place, in my house, you know, uh, I'm just playing, but I kind of serious. Yeah. Um, but, 
<laughs> but you know, like the, the other piece of it was though, man, I was like, oh, he really, cause like I would hear that from people. Like I've heard, you know, guys get cut from the Patriots or guys play there and be like, yeah, man. Like they meet coach LeBeau. I don't know if you guys know who Dick LeBeau is, but you know, Dick LeBeau is a hall of famer. He was the defensive yeah. coordinator in Pittsburgh. The coach nicest, like 90. <laughs> yeah. Right. He was the <laughs> nicest human in the world. Though. You know, like he would tell us every off season, he would thank us for allowing him to coach us. You know what I'm saying? Like you could walk yeah. in his office at any time, speak to him. So when people would tell me, yeah, man, when you walk past Bill, you don't say anything. And I was like, and that's okay to y'all? Yeah. You know, I, like, yeah. Rick Moss got through to him. You know, that whole you know, dressing up like a pirate. I saw it. <laughs> I saw it. And listen, and I've had, you know, like when Randy talks about him, Randy has good things to say about him. You know, uh, Teddy Bruschi doesn't have bad things to say about Bill. You know, I've seen him in different settings seem to be human. But in that, human. <laughs> in, in that football setting, man, when he walked by me, it really rubbed me the wrong way. I get I'm that. Not, I'm not going to lie. But, I mean, it don't. It doesn't – I mean, it's a double negative. It doesn't not make him the greatest coach of all time because uh, he truly is. Were you ever there when Dick LeBeau read The Night Before Christmas? Yeah, he did it every year. Yeah. He did it. He did it every <laughs> single year, man. And, like, and like 53 large children, we would all get excited. We would all get giddy. You could have put us all in those onesie pajamas with the candy canes on them. That <laughs> yeah. all booty. All like we were, bro, we were, we were all the way into it, man. It's the, when I look back at my career, <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of those things, man, that made Pittsburgh different, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but it made him different. That Christmas spirit. Uh, that's what made it different. It's like all, it's like the scene from you know, Billy Madison, like Miss Lippy's room and they're all sitting around. It's like, you get out there and you find that effing dog. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and he just was, he's just truly the greatest man I've ever come around as far as football is concerned. So it was dope, man. And it also made him happier than it made us. The fact that I he got this. to do it. And I the fact this. that is we Christmas cared. your favorite holiday? No, it's Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Yes. Okay, that's coming up Me here. too, bro. Thanksgiving. I love I like it. Yeah, I like to eat. Yeah, okay. Then what's your favorite Thanksgiving dish here before we let you go? Gumbo. I'm from, Gumbo. I'm from New well, Orleans. You are from Gumbo. Louisiana. Wow, yeah. You're a Louisiana boy. I get it. Yeah. Are you doing seafood or chicken gumbo? We do both. Mm. Okay. That sounds uh, great. Story. Um, I, I'm from Florida. Uh, I worked at Acme Oyster House for three oh, years. Oh, yeah, for sure. So okay. I, you know a little bit. I know a little bit. I know a little, you know bit. A little bit. Um, I'm uh, A2 is like one of my favorites. It's also, it's and mac and cheese slightly, down in the south too. I'm slightly chunky right now. It's also you, part of it. <laughs> you you could barely jog. You could totally. How many reps do you think you could play right now? None. If you were if you were thrown out, <laughs> absolutely, right absolutely none. None. I, I respect your honesty so much. I, listen, I um I own a training facility, and so you know I train to Tre'Davious White, Landon Collins, and like. We get around. I have to work. I start working out in like January just to run around with them. So to actually think I could go out and play, I'd be stupid, which is why I respect Tom so much. They actually, I said something good about TV 12 on TV and they sent me some. They sent oh, me no, like they protein. Oh, wow. Yeah, like the protein. That's awesome. I felt, like, I felt like super accomplished. I feel almost famous. Well, you know what? Maybe they're listening now. And all I got to say is I need some new pajamas. I know they have really fantastic pajamas. They're <laughs> supposed to keep you cool at night. So yes, I could use them right now. <laughs> TV uh, 12, Ryan, please hear us. 
<laughs> Ryan Clark, man, I'm really happy you were able to join us. And again, you're busy as hell. So thanks for making a small yeah, window okay. of time for us here at you know the Nest and After Hours podcast. My man, y'all have a good one. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much, Ryan. We'll talk soon, man. All right, y'all, y'all be good. Bye. Bye. Oh, all right, E. That'll do That's it great. for us today. That's it. A lot of good stuff, man. A lot. Always. Always. I mean, this is After Hours podcast presented by People's United Bank. We're always going to bring it. A-team. Hey, good stuff today. Uh, loved hearing some of those stories about Bill Belichick and, and Tom good Brady. So he likes Tom Brady, right? Doesn't like Bill Belichick. Okay. I get that now, too. I can, and, uh, I can get that. I, I, I found it hilarious, the, the story about Bill just straight up ignoring him. And then Ryan wanting to fight the old man. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, man, I'm going to throw hands. Yeah, right. uh, <laughs> awesome stuff. So, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll be back next week. And we'll, All we'll right, do it everybody. again. Another award-winning podcast. All right, everybody. That'll do it for us. Enjoy your weekend. We'll see you next week. <laughs>